0: TheOAMnetwork.com. Power to the podcast.
1: Bike Nerds podcast episode 25. This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. Sarah, have you been listening to any books lately?
0: I have. This will be no surprise. This is a book that I've read and have now made the decision to listen to, Outliers, The Story of Success by Malcolm Gladwell.
1: Isn't it great to sort of like revisit a book, but in a totally different way?
0: It's kind of one of my favorite things about audible.com. I'm very much more of like a book nerd, if you will. And I really like this different perspective about listening um, to books. It's really great. I think I pick up things. You know, I, I read really fast and I may miss things because I scan. And so listening is really great because I have to listen.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it's it's kind of like seeing one of your favorite books become a movie. Except when you go to the but movie. But everything's accurate. But Yeah, but when, except when you go to the movie, they change everything. <laughs> but when you listen to Audible.com, it's the actual book that you remember reading just told by somebody. And I I, I sort of just love the art of sort of like people reading to other people and storytelling. It, it brings back very fond memories as a child of going to the library, right, and being read to.
0: Oh, my gosh. Being read to is such a joy,
1: and I think you just broke the news that you're going to be starting the Book Nerds podcast uh, pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true?
0: Breaking news. <laughs> no,
1: don't, don't go to the Book Nerds, folks. <laughs> to download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash OAM. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash OAM. Sarah, I have to ask, Dollywood, how was it?
0: Dollywood was like anything I've ever experienced. And I've experienced a lot. I don't think I've ever really spent a ton of time in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. First of all, so that was an experience nonetheless.
1: <laughs> yeah, Did, what which of our guests had, had told us about Pigeon Forge?
0: Um, Chattanooga,
1: Jenny Park,
0: Jenny Park, Jenny, yeah. Jenny,
1: Jenny was telling us about Pigeon Forge,
0: and so and I've been I. I think I went there like on under different reasons, like maybe more hiking or like getting to the Smokies and some aspect. But anyway, but I was saying like on the strip at a pigeon forge at a best Western with a pool. And that was like a whole nother experience, but Dollywood was fantastic. Some of, like, the most fun roller coasters I've been on in a, in a while. And Lightning Rod is a new roller coaster that has had a ton of technical difficulties. But luckily, it was running the day that we were there. <laughs> and it was the most terrifying experience I've ever You had went on it? Life. I went. I ra- waited in line for an hour. They, like, trick you where you're like, oh, it's going to be, like, 15 minutes. And then you're like, oh, it's going to be. And then you get on this ride. And literally, for, like, the two minutes and 30 seconds the ride is, it is so, I, I cannot even, like, I still, I have, like, goosebumps. It's so intense from start to finish. Like, everyone that comes off the ride, like, looks, like, white and is, like, weak at the knees. What, and, like, what is,
1: is it a roller coaster? Or it's what, a roller what does it coaster. Do? Okay.
0: Called the Lightning Rod.
1: Lightning Rod. It's
0: supposed to be one of, like, the top ten roller coasters you should ride in 2016. I do not recommend it. <laughs> I mean, it's, like, fun when you, like, look back and you're, it's, like, I don't know. It's like, oh, like I like experienced like a prisoner of war camp. Like that's a great story to tell. Like that's how I feel about the lightning rod.
1: Wow, I have to ask a question, and I don't want to, I don't want to bring up a sore subject, but I did see a picture of you and the gang at Dollywood <laughs> uh, on the on the Facebook. And as I was looking at the photo, I couldn't help but notice <laughs> that everybody in the photo is wearing a Dolly Parton green T-shirt. <laughs> Except for Sarah Studdard, and I, I just have to know. You know, did you not get the memo? Like, what? What was so, driving your blue ensemble? I learned a lot
0: last weekend. So there was eighteen of us that went. The T-shirts were passed out Friday night when we were like by the pool, eating pizza and drinking excessively. Everyone made the decision that we would wear the T-shirts together, which I did to denny's we walked to denny's from the best western for breakfast saturday
1: oh my god this is it's like a this, is a real, this is a real pigeon forge story like we yeah. were we and were at so, the best western and in my head and then we I, walked over to denny's yeah for we the, walked over to denny's to, tootie and fruity, got like a Paul and <laughs> um
0: okay. and so go, in my go. head i was like oh like we're gonna like wear the t-shirts to breakfast but like It's – I'm not wearing cotton to an amusement park. Like, I'll be – I'll look sweaty and gross, and, like, I would rather wear, like, a polyester flowy shirt. That feels like what I want to wear. And then I get to – I, like, meet up with everyone as we are departing for Dollywood, and they all have their damn T-shirts on, and I'm, like, in a totally different outfit. And I just realized throughout the entire trip that I'm not a joiner. I drove by myself. I think I was the only I was the only person that drove by myself and stayed in my own hotel room. <laughs> oh my goodness. And so and then I was the only person that went to Dollywood that didn't wear the t-shirt. And so I learned a- it was a good lesson. I'm, I'm, I feel comfortable with my being, but I'm glad that you noticed.
1: Yeah, I, you like, know, I didn't, I didn't want to post anything on Facebook. I didn't <laughs> want to embarrass you, but I did want us to have this conversation on the, on the nationally released podcast, uh, so that everybody. It was, would it was know. like
0: I, I really was like, oh, I thought we were just like gonna wear these to breakfast. And They're like, no, it's like, what's the fun of like a 18 adults wearing the same t shirt if you're not gonna like go to amusement park? And I was just imagining like. Sweat stains everywhere. No one looked pleasant the entire time. (laughs) And I had like a nice, flowy, you know, dark t-shirt that showed no sweat stains. I didn't regret my decision. But looking back at the picture, I was like you're just not a joiner stuttered it's like, and everyone was like, you're staying in a hotel room by yourself. Like you drove here by yourself. And I was like, yes, like obviously like I've had the time of my life. Like, clearly a, clearly different-
1: a woman who values her independence <laughs> in every way, shape and form. Yes. Well, I'm glad you had a good time and I'm glad you know, that we're going to be together in Vancouver for Pro Walk, Pro Bike.
0: It's so great. Uh,
1: really looking forward to that. You know, we've got uh, some great interviews lined up while we're there. Uh, we're going to be staying together in a crash pad with John Paul Schaefer from Wakey. Memphis. And, and another Memphis friend. Uh, and, and, so- and
0: we're going to be staying at, like, I mean, I think John Paul was like, I don't know if I'm going to go. And I showed him where we're staying. He's like, I'm booking my flight right now. <laughs> We're going to be balling. Uh,
1: yeah, so I'm I'm going to be happy to reconnect with the the Memphis crew while I'm there. You know, this is episode 25. You know, amazing. 25 episodes. It feels episodes. like some sort
0: of anniversary. What do people get each other for their 25th wedding Ooh. anniversaries? Oh, I
1: don't know. It's not cotton, I can tell you that.
0: Let's see. I don't know what it is. Silver? It's silver.
1: Silver. Man. Woo. All right. I'm looking forward to my present when I see you in Vancouver. Ditto. Uh, I feel like
0: there's going to be engraving involved.
1: (laughs) Episode 25 is with my friend Jordan Exantus. Uh, who is a transportation planner in Maryland, sort just east of uh, DC in St. George's County? You know, I didn't—we didn't mention this at all on the podcast. So I think it's important to mention. But Jordan was actually uh, an intern of mine while I worked at the City of Memphis, and that—that's really where I know Jordan. I
0: didn't from. even know that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it—it it, it literally never came up. We had such a good conversation about the work that Jordan's doing there, you know, and the way that he approaches community involvement. That, uh, it never, it never popped up, but Jordan helped me on some safe routes to schools projects up in Fraser. Uh, he was a grad student in the city planning program that I graduated from, uh, got to spend a, a year with him working in a, you know, sort of, uh, an underserved community helping provide educational opportunities for kids who are walking and biking to school, uh, Really, really got to like Jordan. You know, he and I both like soccer a lot. We both like bikes. You know, the, we didn't quite, you know, bridge the gap on the Star Wars front. But, I, you know, two out of three <laughs> is not bad. No, not at all. Uh, he,
0: That's more than you and I have in common. Yeah, he but.
1: and I even sort of attended uh, like an Equity and Biking – Equity and Biking. Equity equity and Biking. Uh, equity, equity <laughs> you and sound biking, like me. <laughs> I know. Equity and Biking uh, workshop together. It was really like – you know, one of the, like the very like early on workshops around equity and biking that was sort of happening around the country, and Memphis got invited to sort of come and add sort of a voice to what you know what was happening. You know, how do we talk about equity? What's, what are the important things to sort of you know really sort of point you know point out as bike out because we're trying to figure that out. And he sort of accompanied you know me as a part of the Memphis delegation with some others. Um, and you know, it was a really valuable experience for me. And I've just stayed in touch with Jordan you know ever since.
0: That's awesome. Well, it was a great conversation. I don't want any spoiler alerts, but some of the practices he's enacting in, in his community just really have got me thinking about the way community meetings are run in general. And um, I look forward to kind of hearing everyone else's kind of feedback on his perspective.
1: Yeah, you know, he tells a story about sort of his interactions and his answers to some questions that he gets from members of his community as, the, as they're planning for trail projects and bike projects and i i actually also saw after we talked to him a clip online on his facebook account where somebody had recorded him uh, at one of these public meetings addressing addressing questions and comments and i and i've got to say what he told us in the podcast is exactly what he told these people uh, in in the room and uh, their reactions to it were really were really great in the way that That's they awesome. sort of responded to his kinds of answers and I think uh, I think you know he's going to be doing really great things uh, there in Maryland uh, for years to come and so I'm super excited that he was uh, able to join us and what do you think should we do this let's hit it so tell me about uh, Prince George's County. Because I'm not, I'm not super familiar. If you just told me that, I don't really know where in Maryland that is or anything about it.
2: <clears throat> so uh, Prince George's County, let's see. Um, we are directly east of the District of Columbia. Um, it's a very large county. Um, I don't know the exact square mileage, but it's, uh, it's a pretty sizable um, county. Um, we're almost a million residents. Um, is a majority African-American county, although historically it was not necessarily that way. Um, I think it's something that's happened over time as D.C.'s demographics have shifted. Um, that's kind of where um, a lot of people that have been priced out of D.C. have gone and continue to move because it is the probably the cheapest real estate um, in and around the region. Um, however, uh, it is also the wealthiest, um, I guess what you would consider a black county in the country. So relatively speaking, I mean, folks have good jobs, a lot of government employees, you know, this is DC, uh, DC, Maryland, Virginia region, the home of the federal government. Um, you know, people have, uh, pretty strong economic, um, opportunities here, um, but, um the issue with prince George county um I don't know if I'm gonna get in trouble for saying this, but but uh, we have a we have a very traditional kind of suburban land use mindset in the county. Um, They haven't quite bought into the ideas that, you know, sprawl is expensive and uh, difficult to maintain and all of those kind of things where you need to promote transit-oriented development and create density and and those kind of things. So those ideas are just kind of coming to fruition now in the county where they're starting to recognize, okay, our metro stations are assets and we need to do more to develop um, around them. Whereas when you go to Northern Virginia – when you go to Montgomery County, Maryland, talking about places like Silver Spring and Bethesda, um, you know, you go to other parts of uh, the region. Things are just taking off. I mean, DC is is at the forefront of you know, you know urban urban uh, development. development. Whereas, Whereas Prince, George's, Prince George's, they still, they still would be, be suburban. suburban. Um, some areas are still pretty rural. Um, you know, people want their big big houses, big lawns, and um, you know, they're paying up cost for it. And then, um, you know, I think the, the power structures that exist, um, there's a kind of a mismatch in, um, uh, how do we say, in, in the implementation versus, you know, what the community wants. So, you know, the people that live there... You know, they very much want things to to develop in a certain way. But, you know, similar to kind of what we saw in Memphis, you have a situation where um, they want development and need development so badly. They have a hard time, um, you know, leveraging um, the kind of development that they want uh, because, you know, they don't have the market to dictate what comes. They kind of take what they can. So you see situations where um, like some of my project areas, um, you know, one of which is called uh, Largo. Um, Largo Town Center has uh, recently done a, um, a sector plan, a sectional map amendment, which is what we kind of call our neighborhood plans. Um, in the county and you know very ambitious goals to create this 24-hour mixed-use urban center around the metro station and um, you know anchored by a new regional medical center and all these things but then we have uh, developers that want to build you know an aldi as opposed to you know a higher quality grocery store Um, you've got a lot of undercutting of the plans you have a lot of folks who um, you know, use legal loopholes to get around the zoning requirements. Um, and I can tell you from having worked intimately with these communities that um, the residents are, are very frustrated because they feel like you know, they're participating in these planning processes for decades and uh, implementation has, has lagged um, for, you know, a whole host of reasons. Um you know, I'm I'm personally of the opinion that um, you know race is a, is a large factor, um, and uh, that proliferates in in a in a host of ways. But um, ultimately, um, you know, the the powers that be have not yet um, found a way to, to get the quality of development that they they want there. So it's 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 a little bit lagging, but. Um, you know, relative to other parts of the country, it's, it's okay. But, um, you know, compared to DC and those other regions I mentioned before, which are really kind of, uh, you know, leaders and thought and best practices and in, in implementing innovative ideas and, and, um, doing things that we talk about, you know, and planning as, as new and exciting, um, you know, we're still trying to, you know, get them to you know, implement things like road diets and bike lanes and bike trails and, um, you know, urban scale um, streetscapes, you know, urban scale um, zoning. Um, you know, we're going through a zoning rewrite. Um, it's, a, it's a very arduous process. And, um, you know, we're we're, we're we're not quite there yet where people um, feel that, you know, we, we're going to get the, the urban amenities that they want. So, um, yeah. That's kind of a roundabout way to
1: answer your question, I guess no, that was super. so so Jordan so as as they're sort of um, you know sort of talking with talking and helping to plan and processes to sort of improve the environment, is there like an underlying concern, you know given given what's happening in DC with a lot of the other urbanization with gentrification and sort of their own lived experience you know, sort of being priced out of the DC market. Is there, is there, is there a concern that, you know, that there's like a, there's a conflict between wanting that, that kind of development, but also being concerned that, that they'll just get forced, they'll get forced out again.
2: Um, well, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I'm very much consider myself to be an advocacy planner and, um, you know, the whole gentrification, um, dynamic happening in DC is really alarming. Um, But, you know, Prince George's County, the the view of the political elites there is that they are already the um, place for affordable housing. They have a lot of affordable housing. You know, when you look at median home incomes, average rents and and things of that nature, um, you know, Prince George County falls way behind um, a lot of those other regions. I know northern Virginia, uh, median home values are up around 500,000. D.C., you know, you can easily pay two and three and four grand for an apartment. Um, you know, Prince George's, you know, you can still find a place um, in the two and three hundred thousands. Um, you know, you can still rent an apartment for, you know, a thousand dollars. So um, and and the there's a lot of inventory. Um, you know, there's a, it's it's a lot of uh, housing there. So a lot of the stuff that they're pushing for um is uh, is market rate? Um, you know, there. I think long term, there's there's definitely some concerns, and I have some concerns. But the reality is, is that um, you know you're not going to get the anchors that you need to really create that. You know, strong community development without some form of economic gentrification because, you know, kind of similar to what you would see in Memphis. A lot of Prince George's County looks like Summer Avenue. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, you know, tire shops. Mm I mean, just businesses that you don't want in your commercial corridor. So, you know, but it's crazy because, you know, these folks have nice houses and, and good jobs and drive BMWs and Mercedes, but they go to another county to buy their car. You know, they they aren't eating at their restaurants. They aren't shopping in their stores because, you know, and this is why, you know, I, I, you know, say, you know, about the race issue, because the stuff that they put there, it's nail salons and, um, you know, sneaker stores. And, you know, it's it's the stuff that they know guaranteed that they can make money. But, Mm -hmm. you know, people aren't really willing to take risks there. But, you know, I mean, you look at National Harbor which is in Prince George's County, is doing incredibly well, and they're building an MGM Grand Casino there. I mean, you're talking, I don't know, billions of dollars of of <laughs> yeah. money that's coming through that area. It's feasible, right? It's yeah. just having the will um, to do it and having a developer that says, you know, I don't really – I'm not really concerned about the demographics. I'm going to do this because it's a good plan. It's a good idea. Um, but, I mean, if you look at the folks that are using National Harbor, I mean, it's one of the most diverse, you know, mixes of people that you'll find. If you go down there um, pretty much any night of the week, it's just a tremendous array of people, you know, all colors of the spectrum. And it's, it's an experience, you know, it's something that you expect to see in a major city, but you often don't see simply because of how things work so i think um down the road um, as the region develops you're going to have to kind of come back to okay how do we accommodate for these populations uh, more and more folks getting pushed out of dc etc um, but right now in the short term i think they're just really trying to establish those anchors you know how do we get a whole foods to build a store here how do we get you know those amenities that we know we can support, but people traditionally have not been willing to put here.
1: Yeah. So, are are there are there metro stops? Um, there are just, several. Okay. So, um, so are people are people like taking the metro into D.C. for work? Or are they driving? What's the, what's the
2: what's the mode uh, mostly? Like? Most people drive. Okay. Um, you know, it's a traditional suburban. Bedroom community. I mean, there's there's some jobs there. We've got some 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 industry, but the majority of residents are driving into the district or driving into Virginia to work. Um, There are metro stations. Um, You know, my project area um, consists of four um, extending out of the east east um, edge of the the district. Um, But when you compare those metro stations to other Metros across the region—they're very underutilized, which is why we are looking very closely at um, promoting transit-oriented development. Um, so, and then when you talk about biking, I mean the numbers are are almost non-existent, right? So, um, one of the things that I'm doing—and this—it's interesting because you know politics plays a huge role in all this, as I'm sure you're aware. Anytime you're planning. The political will has to be there to to do things, um, but it's also, you know, how your organizations are run and the thinking behind them. Um, you know, Prince George's County um, has an – the agency I work for is Maryland National Capital Park and Planning Commission. Um, it's uh, It actually covers Prince George's and – uh Montgomery County, but in Prince George's County, you know, I was talking to our facilities manager recently. I think he says that something like seventy percent of our staff are eligible for retirement. Um, which is an astounding figure when you think about it. So it's a lot of old thinking. Sounds like a sounds like
1: a promotion, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's why I'm that's why I'm hanging on. I'm
2: hanging on, right? So, uh, you know, their thinking is very different, you know, you know, and Kyle, you know me, I'm all about the community, um, you know, and I was just so fortunate to fall into a division where, um, you know, my supervisor is a real, um, you know, community planner, you know, a real advocacy planner, um, activist roots, you know, and everything we do, we put the community first. We're in the community multiple times a year meeting with people letting them know what we're doing but we get comments around the office like what's with these crazy meetings you guys have or you know why are you bringing food and drink to these meetings like why would you gotta you know it's like you guys waste millions of dollars on plans that never get implemented and you're talking to us about you know 80 90 dollars we're spending at a community meeting you know like how would you feel if you went to a meeting at 6 p.m and there were no refreshments you know and i'm like these are planners like I don't know about where you went to school, but for me, the cornerstone of the planning profession is the community. So um, it, it's really amazing that you have this, uh, it's this kind of unwillingness to interface with the community in a significant and meaningful way. Um, and it's not seen as something that could add value to the work that we do. And the planning department is really it's largely, really uh, uh, you know, development uh, review and, and zoning administration and, and a lot of times, you know, I, these folks seem, you know, pretty cozy with the developers, and I'm, I, it, it's it's baffling to me. But um, you know, like I said, our division, um, and I, I'm part of a group called the Strategy and Implementation Division. It came directly from citizen discontent. Um, we have a very um, positive and influential uh, council member that that. Um, His area is where I'm working, Um, the Largo area that I mentioned before, District 6. He's also the the county council chairman, and uh, he has been really pushing implementation because as he's heard and folks have been hearing for a long time, they have planning burnout. They don't want to talk about what might happen anymore. They want to do things. And, you know, politicians want to get things done because that's how they build their legacy. So we have very strong support from the, uh, the county council members. Um, there's three of them in, in my project area. And um, we've been given the charge to you know implement some of these things that folks have been talking about.
0: What uh, kind of things are you implementing? What are, who's coming to the community meetings and what are they asking for in terms of implementation? S-
2: Right, so I was just going to get into that, Um, but I'm glad you asked me. So essentially, when I I came on board uh, almost two years ago now, and um, our group is focused on um, transit oriented development and what's called the Central Avenue. Um, metro Blue Line Corridor. So as I stated before, it's four metro stations extending from the east end of D.C. into Prince George's County, um, right in the heart of the county, dead center, right? And what this is a what we call the inner beltway community. I don't know how familiar you are with the D.C. region, but you have the I-95, um, 495 beltway, which is uh, a ring um, freeway that goes around um, the D.C., metro region and traditionally the inner beltway communities. so the areas outside of dc inside of the beltway at least in prince george county are underserved um poor um a little bit more urban but you know very distressed uh community so underdeveloped um and, and and really having a hard time so um we have undergone a number of planning studies historically um, working with the community trying to see, well, how do we um, increase transit-oriented development in this area? Um, one of the key recommendations that came out of a, um, a planning study that was done before I got there um, was to develop this connector trail, um, a walking and biking facility that would not only – tie into the D.C. trail network, but would link all of the metro stations along that corridor and help provide safe pedestrian access from the neighborhoods to the metro stations, where currently um, the Central Avenue that I mentioned is actually a state highway. And even though the posted speed limit is in the 35 to 45 mile an hour range The median speeds are well above 50 miles per hour and you have incidents of 80s and 90s. And um, for whatever reason, it continues to be that way. So um, even though within my project area, you have some of the busiest pedestrian crossings in the country, uh, I mean, in the county outside of the, um, the area around University of Maryland College Park, which, as you would expect, you know, college students have, you know, it's a lot of walkers. Um, this is the busiest area for pedestrians. Uh, numerous, numerous um, fatalities, accidents. We lost someone on the road um, on July 20th, um, just, uh, just that recently. And, um, you know, so safety is a huge concern in the area. Um, several schools in the corridor I mean, you name it, it; it's just it's it's a real problem. And this this highway bisects the community, and and creates uh, real challenges for um, you know people using um, you know the metro. And we've heard it time and again in our interactions with the community. You know, I would take the metro, but there's no real safe way for me to get there. I would ride my bike, but I don't feel comfortable. And, um, you know, it's difficult because when you're dealing with state highway agency and we're like, look, we need a pedestrian signal here. We need a traffic light here. You always get the same kind of engineering song and dance. Well, we, you know, the, the the traffic doesn't warrant it. There's not enough movement on the side streets, blah, 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 blah. Well, it's like, well, of course it's not because people don't feel safe even turning out of their community onto that road. So they all go to these collector streets Um, you know, take a roundabout way to get onto the highway because they don't even feel safe turning onto the road in their car. So, of course, you know, you're not going to get the other forms of traffic necessary to warrant that. But if it was there, I mean, anyone with, you know, a basic planning or engineering or any other background can see this is a place where, you know, you could benefit from uh, a crosswalk, a pet signal, uh, you know, something of that nature. But, you know, we, we deal with this challenge of, communities being designed for cars first and, and people second. So, um, you know, that's something that we're, we're, we're working to navigate. Um, but you know, this trail project has really turned into our, um, primary project and, um, you know, everybody is, well, not everybody, but the the majority of people are, are really getting behind it. It's generating a lot of momentum. Um, we've been successful in every single grant that we've applied for. Um, the the local um, what's called the uh, Metropolitan Washington Council of Governments um, is, which is you know, functions kind of like the NPO. Um, they have have been pushing the project. They say this area is underserved. We we get very few applications from you know, Prince George County, um, please, please, please get your applications in. You know, the state has funded all the grants we've applied for. um, And, you know, we've been able to, you know, since I came on board, um, develop a feasibility and implementation plan. Um, That plan gave us the cost estimates that we needed to pursue what's called 30% design, um, this, this was, you know, the preliminary engineering that we need to, uh, obtain construction dollars. Um, this is kind of different for me coming from Tennessee because they fund projects without that, but, um, it's kind of an added step, I guess, um, in this area, um, where you need to kind of have these, these engineering drawings and, and thorough cost estimates to, to be eligible for construction dollars. So, uh, where we are today, um, because it is such a large project, the trail itself consists of roughly nine miles of um, facility, including some two-way facilities in certain segments. Um, we have broken it up into phases. We have three phases. Um, the first one, we just completed uh, 30% design for. Um, it's about a one-mile section in um, the busiest uh Trans, uh, pedestrian corridor within that area where the most demonstrated need was. Um, then we have, uh, we're getting ready to kick off phase two this summer. What's well, actually already started um, where we got uh, roughly $360,000 from the state to do the preliminary engineering for that project. Um, and that's going to be a roughly 15 month project Um, to to do all the design for that piece or the preliminary design. And then we were just awarded um, a few months ago, maybe March, um, a grant to do a pedestrian bridge crossing the Beltway, which will tie in um, from the Largo Town Center that I mentioned before, which is the site of uh, the new regional medical center and plan downtown for Prince George's County um, across the Beltway where you currently cannot get across at all unless you walk or unless you go about a mile and a half to the north um, and cross there um, at the bridge that was um, that's on the road um, arena drive that gets you to FedEx Field the Washington Redskins play um, uh, that, that pedestrian bridge will allow a direct connection from Largo Um, across the highway and into, um, the, the, the corridor, um, to provide those residents with, um, park space, um, et cetera, where that community currently has no park space, but there is some, some recreational facilities on the other side of the highway. So, um, we're, we're very excited um, about this project. Um, we've got the council members on board. The community is excited. We've had, um, Hundreds of people participate in all of our engagement activities. This is something that was very new for me. Um, you know, typically, you know, when you get 30, 40 people at a community meeting, you think you've done a good job. Um, a meeting we had about two months ago, we had 295 people, people, sign, people sign in. in. Dang. And that's, that's, you know, probably um, number of people number who of didn't, people sign, didn't sign, in. sign in, 20%. So we've had meetings where it was standing room only. Um, you know, and, and not only are people there and want to know what's going on, but they're asking intelligent questions. They've got stories, um, they're putting pressure on all the people. So, um, we, we make sure that we, we involve the stakeholders heavily. Um, when we have our meetings, we have representatives from public safety there. We have representatives from department of public works and transportation, Um, you know, from, uh, the, the local, you know, department of energy, we've got folks from the, um, the, the council members offices, we've got folks from, you know, all different agencies to make sure that we're able to answer those difficult questions and, and also deal with other issues because, you know, when you have this kind of community with the issues that it has, um, you get a lot of, um, anger and people asking questions about things that may not even necessarily be related to what it is that we're talking about, but, you know, no one else has come to talk to them. So they just know that the government's having a meeting. So they come in there with their, um, their issues and and they want to be heard and they want to ask questions and and figure out, well, what are you doing? You know, um, and in our most recent meeting, which occurred what just four days ago, um it was it was actually really interesting because even though in the past we've never had anyone really say anything too negative about the project but um at this past meeting we had a table of ladies and they were upset you know and they were going to cause some problems that day it was clear from the very beginning of the meeting and you know when they tried to you know when we had the question and answer session they tried to take over and you know who asked for this project? What? Why are you doing this? We got all these problems. You need to do this. You need to do that, and blah blah blah. And let's take a roll call. Who even wants this trail? Ah, raise your hand if you want the trail. And it was like, man, it was crazy. You know, um, but you know what I had to tell them was, I was like, you know, look, we we understand. Like, we, you know, we know that there's real issues here. We know that you guys have more pressing needs than. Uh, a bike trail, a walking trail. Uh, we were well aware, you know, they just closed the grocery store in that area. You know, this area has become a food desert, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, they've got a whole host of issues. So to them, this isn't really seen as something as that's that important. And they're like, well, you know, what is this going to do? Like, why are you spending our tax dollars on this? And I'm saying, look, you know, you have got these four metro stations, you know, you've got these these resources here that are underutilized. And unless you have some of these amenities, you're never going to be able to get the stuff that you're asking for. People want shopping. They want restaurants. I'm like, unless we get some density at these metro stations, you're not going to get the restaurants. You're not going to get the shopping. You know, if, if we're not able to transform the way this community looks and operates you're not going to get the investment that's needed to you know create the things that you want you got to increase the tax base if you want to fix the potholes I mean we we go through this song and dance with the uh, public works and transportation all the time they're like look we're, we're not doing any new projects <laughs> we're, we're just trying to take care of the stuff that we've got so You know, early on in this process, our project met a lot of opposition internally from the various county stakeholders because they were like, look, we don't got no money to do this. You know, we're not going to maintain this. So, you know, you guys can do this if you want, but, you know, we're not going to really help you. And it took a lot of pushing and, and frankly, we had to go over some people's heads and, and go directly to the, you know, the directors and the elected officials to, to get some traction on this because, you know, the, the will wasn't there initially. But, um, you know, people are starting to recognize that, <clears throat> you know, you have to make your community a place that, you know, people want to come to. You have to create place, right? This is something we talk about in planning a lot. You know, you have to have nice amenities. Otherwise, you're not going to be able to attract the quality of, of development and investment that you want. And, you know, um, one of the key things that I, I keep mentioning throughout this process is that, you know, sure, you can do new roads and so on and so forth. But when it comes to transportation infrastructure, a bicycle trail, a walking trail, you know, dollar per dollar, it has the most efficient return on investment of any transportation infrastructure. When you talk about the um, the premium on home prices, you know, within the mile or two um walk shed from a trail facility, it's significant. You know, the increased property values, the economic spin-off is significant. And when you look at the relative cost of doing this kind of thing versus, you know, building a new road or widening a road, et cetera, I mean, it, it's the numbers are there. It supports it. You know, this is something that you can do that's going to create a real impact um, without spending hundreds of millions of dollars. And, um, you know, that's why we're pushing it. And, and and even for me, it's been an educational experience because um, I didn't even realize that that was really the case, you know. You think, oh well, this is just a recreational thing, you know. It's nice, but you know, it's it's kind of a bell and whistle. But the reality is, is that it's not. It's it's something that you can really leverage to transform an area, and um, you know, people are starting to see that. So we're we're very encouraged.
1: Jordan, I'm I'm curious to know. Are there any similarities between sort of the work that you're doing now and the community that you're working in now, and the time that you were working as a planner in the, the Native American tribe up in Minnesota? I feel like most people that are sort of working, especially in biking, um, but also just in planning in general, don't don't get to interact with you know Native American tribes at that kind of level, if if, right. at, if at all. So I'm, I'm just curious to know if you could you know, sort of talk a little bit about that experience and how it might relate or not relate to what you're doing now.
2: You know, it's it's, it's interesting, and I, I'm going to probably ramble for a while, but um, the one thing that always stuck out to me about the reservation, and the same is true where I'm working now, So when you're in low-income, minority um distressed however you want to put it right when you're in these communities you see a lot more and i mean a lot more foot traffic than you would expect right and that comes from a number of reasons but you know primarily you have a lot more folks that aren't driving you got a lot more folks that rely on public transportation or bikes or their own left their own feet to get where they need to go you know the bikers that exist in these communities aren't biking because it's sexy, they're biking because that's their mode of transportation. You know, it's a very different um, dynamic when you compare, you know, other areas where you see folks biking. It's a group of, you know, guys and gals and their spandex and they're out there having fun. Um, you know, people are walking and biking because they need to. If they could drive, they would. Um, however, um, that makes it all the more necessary to, to do this kind of work because the need is, is much stronger. And I think that's the reason why we've been so successful and, and even, you know, working in the reservation successful in finding dollars because, you know, with funding, the, the formulas are very simple, right? You have a score sheet. You make certain amount of points and whoever gets the most points is looked at the most favorably. So, you know, I think traditionally a lot of folks, they go out there and they, they they're like, well, we're doing this and blah, blah, blah. Public health, recreation. This is going to be great. Right. And ours is like, look, like not only is this a, a great recreational asset, but we're addressing public health, we're addressing safety, we're addressing all these other things. You know that those other projects don't address, and I think you know when you when you start counting up the points, it's it's easy to see why you know these these facilities are needed. But the, the problem is, is that you know, it's like I was mentioning before about what happened in the community meeting the other day. There's a there's a cultural disconnect. You know, people are so focused on their immediate needs it's very hard for them to see the bigger vision, the bigger picture. So, you know, both working here and working on the reservation, when you start talking about some of these issues, people are like, most people are like, yeah, that's cool. We'd like to see that. But then the same kind of things come up. They're like, well, you know what? Like we got dogs out here, man. Like we're scared. Like if, if we're out running, like how are you going to deal with those dogs? People got pit bulls and Rottweilers, you know? Same thing here in Prince George County. Um, Another thing that you see in these communities, they're like, yeah, that's great. You're going to build this trail. We really like that. Well, what are you going to do about these kids on the motorbikes? What are you going to do about the four wheelers? These guys are out there, you know, doing dangerous stuff. Same thing we saw in both communities. So, you know, that cultural piece, you know, it becomes very significant uh, in, in this kind of context because when you're designing for these communities and planning for these communities, you have to understand how things get used, right? You have to say, you know, we may have to put some cameras out there. You know, we're going to have to double down in working with law enforcement to make sure that, um, you know, this is a safe facility for people to use because there are real concerns about crime. There's real concerns about vandalism. There's real concerns about, um, you know, otherwise unscrupulous things happening on the trails, right? They, they don't necessarily want more foot traffic. And even though you know we we tell them, oh, these are being designed to, you know, uh, septed, you know, crime prevention through environmental design, and you know, the more more people that use the trail, the better. And da 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 da. You know. You know, we may understand these principles as planners, but, you know, when you go to the community and tell them a bunch of people are going to be walking by their house, that, you know, some people get uncomfortable with that. They're like, you know, I don't want those folks looking in my window. (laughs) You know, those folks are going to rob me. (laughs) You know, so you got to you got to find a way to, um, you know, have that two way dialogue and work with people and and help them to understand exactly what it is that you're doing, what the impacts are gonna be. But also to 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 also listen to them and say, okay, you know what, you're absolutely right. Because when I go in a meeting, I can't tell them that we're gonna keep all the bikes off the trail. Because I can't we can't do that without the help of the police. So we take careful note of everything that comes out of our community engagement activities and we, we're we're in, in, in and, and pretty much constant communication with the police department. Um, and I, you know, me, myself, you know, I mean, you just look at what's going on in America today and we don't have to venture down that road too much, but you know, I can tell you, I personally don't really talk to the police on a regular basis, yeah. um, but I have been talking with them on this project because it's become very clear to me that their contribution is going to be essential to making this work. And, you know, I'm starting to see a little different side of that world because, you know, we're talking about okay, how do we, how can we get some speed cameras along this section so that we can slow the traffic down through here? How do we, you know, deal with you know some of these issues? And you know, I, I, I'm really seeing a different side. Um, and I'll back up a bit. We, in addition to the community engagement, we have stakeholder meetings. Um, at at all the phases of this project and we invite people from all the different agencies to come contribute in kind of a a smaller setting Um, you know the police officers um, police chiefs and um, you know the community liaisons they consistently have some of the most insightful comments in these meetings because they're the ones that are dealing with the accidents they're the ones that are seeing the behavior. They're the ones that are dealing with the stuff on, on a daily basis and, and understand, you know, problems with traffic and so on and so forth. And I can tell you they've added so much value to what we do um, simply by being involved. I mean, it's 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 been really eye-opening for me because I'm like, man, these guys got some great insights on, like, how things could possibly work better because you know we're trained to think one way and they're trained to think another and they're often you know able to address some of those concerns about safety that the community is constantly bringing up I mean their number one concern is safety that's that's just hands down the number one concern and um, the police are able to address some of those things and um, you know we're very grateful so um, I think those are those are some of the key pieces um, when you're talking about you know dealing with these type of communities. Um, it was very different. This this current project is more urban. Um, you know the reservation was more rural, um, but uh, in in both situations, um, you know people are people have have fears and reservations about what you're doing and you, you need to be able to sufficiently and adequately address those things, um, to make people comfortable with what you're doing. And and I found that, you know, developing those cultural competencies, understanding, you know, context sensitive solutions, understanding that you can't do things in these communities the same way you do them other places. You can't take a boilerplate or a cookie cutter approach because it's, it's going to fall flat, Um uh, you, you really have to think outside the box um, and you need to be able to justify what you're doing because, you know, um, you might have to put some CCTV cameras out there, you know, and you need to be able to explain why. So when we're writing our grant applications, you know, these are the kind of things that we have to think about. Um, so, um, you know, all that being said, I think, um, you know, those those are the main similarities. Um, but all in all, you know, it, people are people are really similar too you know they want to run you know we've come across a lot of runners in in all the different communities we work in people want to walk and walk their dogs and walk to places that they need to go and people want to ride their bike and these are these are universal things right i mean these things happen everywhere so um, it's just unfortunate and very unfortunate that in in these communities of color um in, in underserved communities people don't feel safe doing so and that's why even though my work is very challenging um you know i i enjoy it because i feel like you know when successful you know this this is so much more meaningful than you know putting another recreational facility in a wealthy community that's that's um you know, that's, you know, addressing people's, you know, lifestyle needs. You know, this is really addressing people's root needs, their safety needs and, and their health needs. Um, and and that's that's meaningful. Go big or go home, Jordan. That's right. <laughs> that's right, man. You Got to do it.
1: Hey, how how how, how has um, has is Capital Bike Share um, leaking over into your part of the world?
2: it is it is um, and the county is, is looking at that um, they're implementing it um, the first place is uh, in and around the uh, University of Maryland area um, however you know there's some studies going on um, right now the, uh, the the parks department is working on a trails master plan and excuse me there's um, you know there's a lot of discussion that's occurring around um, biking and ped stuff, you know, it's, it's becoming cool, I guess you could say. And, um, you know, when we've had meetings, you know, initially that's not something we've thought about, but, you know, we had a meeting with the council member and he was like, you're talking about this station right here. You're talking about a bike trail. He's like, you better start talking about bike share, you know? So um, <laughs> it's, it's definitely something that we've been charged to, to think about. And, um, you know, I guess, you know, when you're building this kind of facility, it it goes hand in hand. Right. So, you know, if if you're going to put something here, especially since it ties into the broader DC network. um, Yeah, sure. Let's let's get the bike share out there, you know, put the bike shares at the Metro so that when people get off the train, they can hop on a bike and get to where they need to go. Hey, so um, I think it's it's a little ways away. Um, Being that, you know, we don't have the the density, but, you know, going hand in hand with this project, I mean, there's, I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but there are several, um, you know, developments that are um, in the pipeline in the project area, um, especially in the Largo Town Center area, um, which has about four active construction sites currently. Um, but, you know, even throughout the rest of the corridor, there's a lot of planned development, a lot of density that's coming, um, mixed use is coming, um, you know, the regional medical center is coming. So we're going to be adding a lot of people in the next, uh, in the coming years. And, um, I think as, as all these things kind of dovetail together, um, you know, the bike share will definitely become feasible.
0: Well, Jordan, I find it really encouraging, And I was going to say this earlier, but my dog was barking crazy loud, so I was on mute, um, about how you've been able to engage so many stakeholders, not only on a city level, but on a community level. I mean, I was just in a conversation earlier today, and I'm from kind of the private nonprofit sector with city folks just talking about silos and people talking about housing and public works and bike ped and that those community meetings aren't happening at the same time and those conversations are happening in silos. And so I think it's really admirable that, that y'all's community has figured out, you know, how that, you know, a bike ped community meeting, other issues may come up, and it's great to have someone from the city be able to answer those questions, regardless if they have a solution, but able to kind of like participate in that conversation on sounds like a very holistic kind of level. I think that's, that's
2: great. How did that happen? Um, you know, it, it, it just really comes from, um, you know, with, with from, from, you know, our group, you know. And again, I have to give you know, recognition to my, to my supervisor, you know, our division chief. She's an, she's an activist at heart. She's a community advocate. And because she listens, she has the respect of the elected officials and she is a doer. Um, you know, I think in the public sector a lot of times people get comfortable. You know. A lot of folks, you know, they see us in office past five o'clock and they're like, What are you doing here? Go home, go home. <laughs> like, no, nah, man, we got work to do, you know? And that is not a very common thing that you'll see. In our office, if at all, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've been in the office at six o'clock and it's me and the janitors, you know, and it's not late. It's six o'clock. You know what I'm saying? So um, we have a very different approach to work and it's very focused on the community. Um, and, you know, even though all these great things are happening, to be completely honest with you, um, I, I feel like there's so much more that we need to be doing. You know, there's so many more folks that need to be engaged in the process. Um, and maybe that's just me being a perfectionist. But, um, you know, there are some days where I feel like I'm not really doing the greatest of jobs. Um, but, you know, we take special care to make sure that every step we take, we're engaging the community. And, you know what, it's funny because, you know, when I first came here, I thought, you know, that you know my supervisor would be in almost a little bit overboard about it because we had a contract and you know the consultant was being asked to do you know more meetings than they wanted to do and they're like oh they're trying to charge us more money and they really you know and it's like look no we can't go to the community and tell them this is what's happening without talking to them first like we have to do this the right way you can't just come in here and design something without talking to people I mean, this is the approach that we take, you know, and, and to, I think to a lot of people, it's like, well, what, they don't own the land. What, what, what does it matter what they You know, it's about the property owners, you know, no, like people have to live with what you build. And, you know, we understand that very well. Um, and we understand the importance of community buy-in um, and, and mobilization. And so when we have these projects, I mean, We, into each RFP now, we're building eight and eight plus meetings into our contracts because we're like, look, if you're going to do this work, you're going to expect to meet with the community at least twice. You're going to expect to meet with all the stakeholders at least twice. You're going to meet with all the property owners at least once. We're going to do this in such a way where you're going to be forced to take into account all the stakeholders' input. And beyond that, you may need to have some additional conversations with people because we know and understand very well, especially in a place like Prince George County, if you start doing things and don't talk to anybody, you're going to fall flat real fast. So um, it's, it's very interesting because we, we're in a strange situation where almost all of our accolades and support and kudos is coming from people outside of our own department. But people inside of the department are kind of like, well, this isn't planning. Like, what are you guys doing? You know, you aren't supposed to be doing that. But... you know all the elected officials they love it cuz they're like how much money did you raise this year? Oh, 700,000? all right, cool. Yeah, keep keep up the good work. Yeah, we need more of that, you know, cuz no one else is doing it. And it's it's funny because our group is just, you know, two or three people. And we've brought all these resources in the county and, you know, the other folks in the, in the department are spending money on things personally, but um you know, I, I'm I'm glad to be on the side of things where we're we're trying to do things the right way. You know, it doesn't happen all the time. But, you know, we bring in as many folks as we can because, you know, no man's an island. And, you know, you get so many amazing things when you collaborate and, and you work with people, so many ideas, um, so much stuff going on. And you didn't even know what was going on. And you know, if you're in the world of planning and you're you're doing your job the right way, I mean, just the the things that you see, you know, because every community meeting, you know, you get those community leaders that come out, you know, they they call you and say, okay, I'm bringing. 12 of my church members or i'm bringing all my neighbors or we're bringing the whole civic association you know we're going to come with the you know what i mean and 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 you talk to these folks and they tell you stories about their neighborhood and you know all this information you just had no idea you know and that's to me that's the biggest problem with top-down planning You, you don't really know where you are until you talk to the people and it's it's just amazing because we hear so many stories and those stories almost always change what we do in some meaningful way and um, i don't know how you work any other way personally uh, which is why every meeting we have we we do mailings we mail to six and eight and ten thousand people and it costs some money but uh, i think it's well worth it
1: Jordan, just to just to wrap up here, I have a question for you. As we're uh, as we're heading into uh, football season for the rest of the world, what do, right. what, do, what are you looking forward to the most? what's What's the big uh, What's the big thing that you're going to get out of here? Sorry, Sarah, this is a soccer question.
2: Yeah, it's okay.
0: yeah. I was waiting for it, so it's <laughs>
2: fine. Man, I can <laughs> tell you. I'm I'm like shaking right now because you know it. I don't know about you. I know you're a Chelsea fan. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, I sometimes envy folks that have the one-team allegiance and they're able to just stick to their guns. But, you know, me, I'm just a fan of the game. I got to be completely honest. Like, when, when you know, when Barcelona was doing their thing for a couple of years, I'm like, okay, this is nice, but I'm getting bored of tiki-taka. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. just nothing's happening, you know? Um, but this year in the, in the Premier League, it's just completely amazing. The <laughs> influx of talent. <laughs> The, the coaches that are coming, I mean, we got Pep at City, we got Mourinho at United, we got Conte at Chelsea. I mean, the signings, they just, you know, Pogba's coming, you know.
0: It literally sounds like you're talking in a totally different way. <laughs> oh, like, no idea. I'm so happy for you both.
2: <laughs> oh, Ibra, um, Ibrahimovic is here, like- you know. Jordan, I,
1: <laughs> Jordan it, just, it just came on Twitter The Pogba is official now.
2: It's official. Yeah. I mean, you know it. You know, I mean, you look at the signings. I mean, even, you know, it's like there's no other league in the world where you could say, not, and just forget about the fact that Leicester City is the defending champions, <laughs> but you've got legitimately six, seven teams, maybe eight. And you don't know who's finishing top four. You yeah. just don't know. Mm-hmm. It, could be, it could be Tottenham. You know what I'm saying? It it could be any number of teams, and to me, that's it's just exciting because, you know, honestly, I've been in America a long time. I think our sports systems are pretty rigged, and uh, it's just it's a major turnoff to me. um, You know, in the commercialism of it all, and you know, soccer is, is is about as pure as it gets when it comes to sport. Not saying that match fixing doesn't go on, but you know, it's pretty hard to fake an upper ninety shot. And, you know, <laughs> it, 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 I'm just – I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm excited. But um, are,
0: Do people play soccer? Is that an Olympic sport? Like, are people going to be playing at Rio? They're,
1: they're it's playing, playing right, right now.
2: They're playing right now. In fact, Kyle's trying to end this conversation.
0: <laughs> Miles, I've got <laughs> somewhere to be.
1: I got it on DVR. Don't
2: you worry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So – I mean, you know, man, I mean, it's it's going to be crazy. Um, I don't know. And I don't know who I'm going to really root for until I start seeing some of the games and I see the styles that's being implemented. Because, you know, me, I'm all for beautiful games. Um, you know, people are talking a lot about United and and um, City. But, you know, I think Liverpool may surprise some people. Um Chelsea's going to be interesting. You know, uh, Tottenham is good. And you know, and and there's a few others that could sh- shock some people, and, and and of course we can't sleep on Lester. So, uh, man, uh, it's I can't wait, man. I just can't wait.
1: We don't we don't have long. Just a couple more days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: Like it does the season start soon?
2: What do we got? Like mid mid to late August, something like two no, three weeks. No, so.
1: no, no, no. It starts like Saturday.
0: So does the it? people that are playing yeah. on like the country teams in Rio are not connected to, like, the professional, like,
2: No, they sharing. are. The thing about the Olympics is, is like, it's, they're under 23 teams. and oh. uh, So it's all the young guys, and then uh, they're allowed to take, what, three? Correct me if I'm wrong. Three above 23 guys?
1: Yep. Yep, that's right. Yeah.
0: What so, a strange model.
1: Yeah. Uh, the the world of men's soccer, I'll, I'll qualify that with men's, men's soccer doesn't really consider the Olympics to be like a top priority for competition.
2: No, yeah, it's not. But um, I think it's it's starting to change. I mean, you can see with Brazil taking Neymar, and uh, you know, people want want to win the Olympics now more so than they have in the past. So, um, you know, I, I think it's 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 gaining some luster. But you know, the Olympics, like a lot of sports it's, it's really a showcase for younger athletes. I think, um, mm-hmm. you know, we see the kind of the same thing with the, with the NBA and the, and the, the quote unquote dream team. I mean, you know, if you've, you've got the Olympic team, but you know, with no LeBron and no Steph Curry, I mean, it's not really the best U S team that could be out there. Right. Yeah. But, uh, it's more so for the guys who are younger, who are really trying to make a name for themselves They're trying to prove themselves on a, on a world stage. And, and establish a reputation and this is an opportunity for for the young guys so um i think the olympics in general kind of follows that format
1: yeah jordan it was awesome catching up with you man yeah it's great to
2: hear from you man i'm, you I'm know.
1: glad to see that you're doing great work and uh everything that i taught you is being put in practice
2: <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, is he could take credit for <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> That Kyle, sorry. <laughs> yeah.
0: celebrity wagon shoots, rears his head once
2: again. <laughs> it's all good. You know, I was the one that taught Kyle how to play soccer. So, that's true. You know, <laughs> that's true. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, that I feel like is like, what well, you really should lay your hat on.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I was a West Ham fan before I started talking. Oh, oh no. I don't even know what
0: that means, but burn! I have no idea. I'm like so not the right person to be in in this conversation. Yeah. I was like, oh right. nah, man,
2: go, go look over there. Abramovich got some things going on." You know? <laughs> uh,
1: well, well, thank you again. I, I mean, honestly, really great to catch up with you. Next time that I'm in DC, I'll uh, I'll shoot you a message and uh, see if I can't make it over your part of the world. Um, yeah, that, look,
2: look us up, man. It, it would be uh, it would be great to see you, man, and um, you know get your insights on on what's going on here. And and to be completely honest, man. Um, some good synergies, and in fact, I didn't mention, but you know, the Washington Area Bicycle Association, or whatever they're called, mm-hmm. it's just it's such a small world, man. That the the, the director of that organization is someone that I went to high school with, and he's in my <laughs> in my in my same cohort, man. It's just unreal. So you know, we've been you know tapping into these various networks, and it would be great to get some some uh, some folks from some of the national organizations involved because. You know, this is the kind of thing that we we really need folks to get behind because it's not going to happen on its own. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. You know, some of these other communities, it's it's easy for them to say, "Oh yeah, we're going to build a ped bridge across the the beltway." You know, ten million, no problem. You know, with us, it's like, man, can we we need like a hundred references so that the feds can give us this money because <laughs> we sure can't raise it on our own. Yeah. You know, so the the more people that we can get behind this, the more attention that it receives, it's going to put pressure on the powers that be to do this because you know, even all these great things I've told you today, we still don't have a maintenance agency identified. You know what I'm saying? We don't have anyone who's, able, who's willing to commit to doing this. And I think, like I, I mentioned before, having to go over people's heads, I think what's going to become necessary is that this project is going to have to become so big that people are going to say, look, there's no way we can't do this. You know what I mean? It's it's going to have to become one of those kind of things where the elected officials are like, look, you need to do this. Here's the money in your budget, or we're going to have to go after some money for them, go after a grant to buy the equipment for them and say, okay, here's your trail sweeper, you know, now go sweep our trail. And To be honest, without that, you know, even this could 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 run into some serious challenges. So um, if you got any ideas, man, it would be great to wrap with you, man, because I know you've done this places before. And I'm sure getting this kind of stuff done in Memphis was not easy because Memphis is also, you know, strapped for cash. And, um, you know, we're dealing with a similar climate here in the county. So
0: thanks, Jordan.
2: Yeah, thank you. It's good to meet you, Sarah. Yeah, and pleasure, if, pleasure. If you come to D.C., you know, you don't have to be a stranger either, you know.
0: Oh, I won't. I'm never a stranger. You're stuck okay. with me now. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> have a good rest yeah. of your night. Y'all right, enjoy whatever too. soccer plans you guys have. <laughs> Thanks. Hey, now, <laughs> Bye. I don't little
2: on soccer stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> Take care.
1: The Bike Nerds Podcast is a joint production of The Bike Nerds, Sarah, and Kyle, and the OEM Network based in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit theoemnetwork.com slash thebikenerds.
0: Want to nerd out more? Find us on the web at thebikenerdspodcast.com, on Twitter at The Bike Nerds, and on Facebook The Bike Nerds Podcast. Drop us a note or recommend another bike nerd to have on the show by sending us an email at thebikenerdspodcast at gmail.com.